Hi, this is uh, Scott, um, and it's actually Friday evening, but I'm working on recording this uh, for um, Sunday morning. I'm going to, after this brief introduction, I'll just um, assume that it's Sunday morning and I'm speaking. <laughs> uh, Stefan and I enjoyed the last time that we were there with you all in the uh, lunch and then having the meeting downstairs too um, and we look forward to the time when we could be with you all again um, but for now this is how we're doing it as you might have heard the topic of today's message is Paul's neologisms the word neologism is made up of two parts neo which means new and logisms or lo logisms which means words new words. So from now on I'm not going to say neologism, I'll just say new words. Paul's new words. I had to look up how to pronounce it properly. Originally I pronounced it wrong, but according to uh, the internet the correct way is neologism. I'd like to pray and then uh, start. Dearly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your servant Paul. Thank you for um, study aids and books and all, all the resources we have, Father, we can um, understand and come to know you more. I ask, Father, that the message today wouldn't just be um, interesting, that it wouldn't just be more information, but that you would use it to change us and to reveal yourself to us more, that we would come to understand and appreciate you more and that our lives would be changed. I ask, Father, specifically that even though uh, the circumstances are unusual, that your Spirit would grant us the uh, His um, wisdom and His revelation and the knowledge of you, and that the eyes of our heart and our understanding would be opened, that we would hear from you, that we would all um, come to know you more. I thank you and pray and ask in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't need to remind everybody that we're currently living in a time when the fragile form of our supposedly stable world has been shown wanting, when the seemingly solid foundations are shaking, when people feel symptoms in the morning and are dead by night. It's an unprecedented experience of life for most of us. Unsurprisingly, many new words or at least new combinations of words have entered our daily lives. In 2019, the Oxford English Dictionary added whatevs, simples, chillax, something, cryptocurrency, and omnishambles to their dictionary. Probably some of the younger people know most of those words. <laughs> Maybe I didn't even say them right. Um, Although omni-shambles is sort of self-explicative. We can imagine what 2020 will add. COVID, obviously, COVID-19, novel coronavirus, social distancing, the phrase flatten the curve, and of course, zoom and zoom in. Many people have come to appreciate the difference, the differences between an epidemic and a pandemic between quarantine and isolation, and between a respirator versus a ventilator. 
some are new words and some are new combinations of words or ideas. A time of great social upheaval, a time of unprecedented change, a time of shifting worldviews seems to generate new words, new ways of expressing new ideas. When Paul was transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light by his confrontation with Jesus on the way to Damascus, he began to learn and use a new language. The Holy Spirit used Paul to write and teach about the riches of and in Christ. What were some of Paul's new words and new ideas and new ways of understanding? Well, as we read through Paul's writings inspired by the Holy Spirit and look at the language he uses, we begin to see his understanding of Christ and his understanding of God and his understanding of what God has done in Christ. In noticing some of his favorite expressions and some of the words which he coins or uh, builds himself, makes up, it's my prayer that as we gather them together and focus on a few of these wor words, they may help to widen our conception of what we ought to expect from God, to bow us in contrition as to the small use we have made of his great generosity, and to open our desires wide that they may be filled. Paul found that God, the all-sufficient one, is a God who gives according to his riches, not just out of his riches. God's standard of giving is not just our daily needs, even though if that were the case it would be enough, but the measure and the criterion for our temporal needs is that he gives us his blessings according to his fullness. There's a great difference if somebody gives out of their riches versus according to their riches. One of the first words that we notice uh, Paul using over and over is abound or abounding. The, thing that, the things that we just thought of as God being the all-sufficient one and the one who gives according to his riches, not just out of his riches, is one of the reasons why abound is one of Paul's favorite expressions. The word abound means to have something in large numbers or amounts, to overflow, to be abundant. The origin of the actual English version of the word abundant or abounding in, is from Old French and in Latin, which both carry the idea of being inundated by a wave. You may have to think back to your childhood at the beach to remember the feeling of an incredibly tall wave coming toward you, overwhelming you, knocking you off your feet, tumbling you around until you didn't know which end was up. In 2 Corinthians 8, 7, Paul speaks of abounding faith. In 2 Thessalonians 1, 3, he speaks of overwhelming, abounding love. In 2 Corinthians 8, 2, he speaks of a wave of abounding liberality. In 2 Corinthians 8-7, he talks about large amounts of diligence and knowledge, abounding diligence and abounding knowledge. And in Romans 15-13, he speaks of an overflow of abounding hope. Another word that Paul often uses is the prefix hyper or super. He often uses this to build up words with... Um, 
this as the prefix, and he does this so often that it's one of the characteristics of his literary style. Of a total of 29 combinations using the word super, which occur in the whole New Testament, 19 of them are only used by Paul. They belong to him alone, and four of the other ones are shared with other biblical writers, leaving a few that, that were used but Paul didn't use. So when we think of these, he, he in 2 Thessalonians 1.3, he speaks of a super growth in faith. So instead of just saying or noting that they were growing in faith, he says he puts hyper or super in front of it and talks about their super growth in faith. This verse says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly. And that's the hyper-growth or super-growth. Because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. So that has the previous word that we talked about, too, abounding. In Romans 8.37, he speaks of a super-victory and conquest. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So it, he didn't just say we are conquerors. He says the, the, it gets translated for us as more than conquerors. But the way Paul would have had it was hyper conquerors or super conquerors. In 2 Corinthians 9.14, he speaks of a super exceeding grace of God. Who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. So a super exceeding or hyper exceeding grace of God. In Ephesians 2.7 he speaks of a super fullness of riches. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians 1.19 he speaks of a super exceeding greatness of power. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated at his right hand in the heavenly places. And then in 2 Corinthians 3.10, he talks of a super exceeding glory, for even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. He also speaks of a knowledge of a super exceeding love of Christ, Ephesians 3.19, and a peace in Christ which super exceeds all understanding, Philippians 4.7. The foundation of all these things for Paul was the super exaltation of Jesus, Philippians 2.9. So the first two that we just talked briefly about is the word abound, and then the prefix super or hyper. And I can almost hear someone uh, wondering if abound is one of Paul's favorite words and if prefixing super to words is characteristic of his literary style, does he ever put those two together? Yes, he does. So we have super abounding or hyper abounding. When Paul uses this word, uh, that, that he, pu he put together like this, superabounding or hyperabounding, it comes to carry the idea of over and above any measure. It's as if there's no possibility of measuring, um, measuring it anymore. Any type of measurement, any type of ability that you would have to measure uh, what he's talking about, Paul, by the Holy Spirit, is purposely um, 
making a point of saying this is beyond measurement. And the the word is he, he uses this word twice only. The first one is in Romans five twenty, where the second part of the verse says, But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So it says where sin abounded, grace hyperabounded or grace superabounded to the point of being unable to measure it or unable to adequately describe it. In 2 Corinthians 7, 4, he also speaks of being filled with comfort and superabounding with joy in the midst of all their tribulations. Hyperabounding or superabounding with joy in the midst of tribulations. I confess, and I think that you would all agree with me, that Paul's experience was often much different than yours or mine. I was surprised. Uh, Romans 5.20, you can sort of understand that where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Grace hyper abounded, grace super abounded. But when Paul uh, speaks of super abounding or hyper abounding, being filled with comfort and joy in the midst of tribulations, it's almost... You feel that perhaps he's exaggerating, but he's not. <laughs> the word superabounding uh, has also been translated lavished uh, in the sense of which he lavished on us, which he superabounded toward us. Uh, an old writer said that the riches of his grace are not given us in pinched exactness or limited and scanty measurements, but where sin abounds, grace superabounds. God knows that he himself cannot exhaust the wealth of his grace, and therefore he lavishes it with unstinted, unstinted generosity upon us. Spurgeon says that it's the working out of the economy of grace. God has, la has been lavish with his love. By little and little he has led us on and led us on, always abounding in his grace, and only limiting the display of it by our capacity to receive it. The word Paul uses, this word superabounding or hyperabounding, means to cause, to superabound, to be superfluous, to overflow, to be in affluence, to excel, or to be in abundance, with the implication of whatever you're talking about being considerably more than what could ever have possibly been expected. That what Paul's talking about, God's grace, Paul by the Holy Spirit, describes it as being considerably more than ever could have been expected. The word carries the idea of exceeding the requirements of overflowing or overdoing something. It means to exceed a fixed number or measure to be left over and above a certain number or measure. It means to have or to be more than enough to be extremely rich and abundant. To exceed or remain over, as was used in the loaves after the feeding of the 5,000. When Jesus supplies, there is more than enough so that there is always left over. How quick we are to forget this basic principle. The, wor the word uh, also carries the idea of a river that's overflowing its banks. The word suggests something being present in a way that the given space is unable to contain it. 
That is, the given space of your life and your sin is not able to contain the grace of God that he would pour into and over you. The given space of your sin may be overwhelmed by the super hyper abounding grace of God. We see this over and over in, in the Bible and we've experienced it in our own lives. David, we would recall, deserved to die with respect to the matter of Uriah the Hittite. There was no prescribed offering or sacrifice for adultery or for murder, much less a combination of the two. David himself says, you did not desire sacrifice or I would give it. The people of Nineveh were not only spared, but Jesus himself says that they will rise up in judgment with the generation that was in Israel at the time that Christ was there. When Jesus spoke of a king forgiving his servants their debts, he used an almost alarming example. The servant that was forgiven 10,000 talents in today's money would be roughly a debt of $4,567,000,000. A day laborer, which is what the man was, he says uh, he has to be let free so that he can go and work and pay off his debt. A day laborer would need to work 200,307 years to pay off this debt. I'm going to say it again. The 10,000 talents, and you can, you can Google this. You can type into any search engine um, what is 10,000 talents in today's money, and you'll get equivalent um, numbers here. 10,000 talents in today's money would be roughly a debt of $4,567,000,000. And if you're sitting there, you might think, well, there, maybe there's some people who could pay that. But the point is that this guy was a day laborer, right? He's not Bill Gates. A day laborer would need to work 200,307 years to pay off this debt. Considering interest, the more the man worked to decrease his debt, the more his debt would have increased from day to day. Our guilt before God is so immense so alarmingly immense that there is no possible way we could pay it off by our own self-efforts. But Paul uses this word hyperabound, superabound, to say that where sin abounded, God's grace superabounded. God's grace hyperabounded. God's grace came in in a way that is beyond all description or all measure in a way that far exceeds any expectation or any ability to measure or to describe it. Paul's final word that I want to look at with you is found in the, in the benediction of the second prayer in, in Ephesians. And if you could turn to this in Ephesians chapter 3, and you know the prayer starts um, in around verse 14. Uh, for this reason, I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and he talks about them under Christ dwelling in their hearts by faith, that they would be able to comprehend and know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then in verse 20, it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, 
To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. And the word that Paul makes up himself here um, is a combination of his favorite words, abounding, which we talked about already, super, hyper, which we talked about already, and then he further strengthens them by the addition of a second word, which in Greek is just two letters, E-K. Um, so it's hyper, ek, peruso, uh, that these three words together, which in English is in the New King James is translated exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. Eric Sauer says that we can perhaps come closest to the surprisingly rich and deep meaning of the Greek word by translating exceeding abundantly above or far beyond all measure more, more than overflowingly, far beyond all that we need and even then exceeding abundantly more than that. And some of you may have seen this before. I don't know if I have notes, obviously. But if I hold this... And you can see if you start um, typing out these words. So if you see now to him, and then add a word each line. Now to him who is, now to him who is able, um, and, and go down. And I'm going to do this with you, but it, you could do it yourself on any kind of computer, or just to even handwrite it and out. And it, it builds a pyramid. And you think, if, if Paul would have stopped at any point in this, it would be enough. It would be enough for us. If we said now to him, we know that that's the point of everything. For of him and through him and to him are all things. God is the ultimate point and the ultimate purpose of everything. But if we say now to him who is, that basically what Jehovah, the name Jehovah, or the I am that I am, uh, his name and, and the eternally present one, that none of us will ever have a single moment of existence apart from Jehovah. None of us will ever have a single second or the, the shortest period of time that you can think of. None of us in our existence will ever have a second where God is not present, where God is not uh, Jehovah, where God is not, I am that I am, the ever-present, always present, always active one. But then you add the next word, now to him who is able. And if it just said that, that would be enough. Now to him who is able to do. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. God does not merely wish to fill the vessel of your life up to the brim. He does not only even pour in his fullness of blessing so that it just begins to overflow. No, even the word overflowing is inadequate. God makes us to more than overflow. Such a super mighty redemption 
is given us in Christ. And that power is the measure of our possibilities in Christ. Obviously, the power that works in us is able to do a great deal more than it is doing in any one of us. And so with deep significance, Paul, side by side with his adducing of this power as being the measure of our possible attainments, speaks about God being able to do for us exceeding abundantly above more than we could ask or think. The power that works in us transcends in its possibilities our present experience. It transcends our past, our conceptions, and our desires. It is able to do everything. It actually does. It actually can. And the responsibility of hampering and hindering that power from working out is only adequately corresponding result lies in our own lives and our own faith. We talked before, according to his riches, but he says, according to your faith, be it unto you. A rushing mighty wind, yes, but in myself a scarcely perceptible breathing, and often a dead calm, stagnant as in the latitudes on either side of the equator, where for long dreary days no freshening motion in the atmosphere is perceptible. A fire, yes, then why is my grate full of gray cold ashes and one little spark in the corner? A fountain springing into everlasting life, yes, then why in my basin is there so much scum and ooze, mud and defilement, and so little of the flashing and brilliant water? The power that works in us is sorely hindered by the weakness in which it works. I said at the outset that it was my desire that looking at these words would serve to widen our conception of what we ought to expect from God, to bow us in contrition as to the small use we have made of his great generosity, and to open our desires wide that they may be filled. The Bible often uses God's provision of sun and rain to picture for us his abundance and his grace, his generosity, his ability to lavishly pour out loving kindness on us. Enough energy falls from the sun upon the earth in one hour to supply the energy needs of the entire earth, all of mankind, for over one year. An average bolt of lightning contains one billion joules of energy, and that is just the static electricity that God has built up in the clouds. The amount of rain that falls on the United States per year it divided out is over six million gallons per person per year, when the estimated yearly need per person is around 40,000 gallons. 40,000 gallons, but what falls per person per year is over 6 million gallons. That's how God gives. I pray that God would grant each one of us to be like Elijah, hearing the sound of abundance of rain while his servant looks in the sky and sees nothing. I pray that after years of drought, we would see the cloud on the distant horizon, small as a man's hand, turn into a sky black with clouds, full of wind and full of heavy rain. For his name's sake. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Paul, Father. Thank you for these reminders from your word. Um, I know the medium is inadequate 
for the expression, Father, um, but I pray that by your Spirit you would impress upon us the boundless nature of your character and specifically of your grace. I ask that it would change us and change our lives. Thank you for each person, Father, and pray and ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you.